You're listening to devpath.fm, the podcast about career development for software engineers. Join the conversation at www.devpath.fm or on Twitter at devpathfm. Everyone, thanks for tuning in today. I'm talking with Kent C. Dodds. Kent, you want to say hello and give everybody an idea of what you work on? Yeah, sure. Hey, Jacob and people listening. Uh, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm super excited about this. I think it's a, a cool initiative that you're doing here. So um, yeah, so my name is Kent C. Dodds. I live in Utah with my family. I have a wife and four beautiful children and a dog. Uh, less beautiful, but still we love her. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I I've been doing uh, I, I've been working for PayPal for the last three years as a JavaScript engineer. Before that, I was at a couple other companies. Let's see it. Yeah, doing just JavaScript stuff, mostly uh, tooling on the Node side and React on uh, front end. I do a little bit of server stuff. Uh, PayPal is big into JavaScript on the server side as well with Node, and so I, I've done you know I've, I've pushed plenty of uh, Node code uh, to production on the server side, but most of my Contribution is front end, uh, JavaScript, React, and then tooling um, with Node. So tell me a little bit more about your job. What is the best part of what you do on a daily basis? Hmm. Okay, so uh, when I started at PayPal, I started on a product team uh, with two fantastic developers, Jamin Ferguson and Jameis Charles. They're both just awesome people. And we worked on shipping the PayPal and Zoom integration. It was just super opportunity to uh, build something that people use to send money to their, you know, to their grandparents back in, you know, India or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, all over the world. And so that was a pretty cool, cool opportunity. Then I I also helped ship um, a revamp of PayPal.me. And uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, So I've done a little bit of uh, product work at PayPal. But in the last year, I've spent most of my time um, working on tooling for PayPal. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I've been working on this thing called PayPal Scripts, which is like React Scripts from Create React App, mm-hmm. um, where it just like encapsulates all of the tooling that is common across PayPal applications so that every single application doesn't have to manage its own development dependencies. And we can just manage that in one project. And that's been working out really well. PayPal Me was, I think, the first big production application at PayPal to use it. And uh, yeah, I've just been working on that. Uh, I also am building uh, PayPal's official component library. Like you'd be surprised, but yeah, PayPal did not have a official component library for uh, like our buttons and our typography and our mm. uh, grid system and stuff. We um, had kind of this CSS solution that that sometimes worked and had to do a lot of weird things to uh, in every single app. So anyway, I'm, I'm building um, that out as well. So I, I tend to do stuff that is far reaching across the, uh, the um, PayPal organization, um, mm-hmm. affects a, a lots of projects. Um, I don't do a whole lot of product work anymore. Okay. Um, so pretty much all of that, it lives in, or it sounds like it lives in like the JavaScript uh, kind of ecosystem. So when you first started out doing uh, development work, was that in the front end or did you begin somewhere else and move towards JavaScript? Well, I can give you the long version or the short version of this. 
go long version. That'd be, right. that'd be great. Cool. Yeah. So when I was born, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So when, let's see, uh, the furthest back I can go is, uh, with my experience with computers was, um, like that wasn't just video games was, uh, my friend Tyler growing up, uh, he was way into computer programming and stuff like that. And he, I remember he was writing C and we had this brilliant idea that we'd, we'd make a game, um, Mm -hmm. and just have it be a a massive online role-playing game. Um, and we, we'd build out this game and then we were, um, we're both LDS. And so, uh, or sorry, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, mm-hmm. And so we serve a two-year service mission for the church when we're 19. And so we're like, oh, yeah, let's build this thing out. We'll ship it off and it'll just run online and people will be paying us the whole time we're gone for those two years. And when we get back, <laughs> we'll be millionaires. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh, the naivety of youth. Um, and so he was like, yeah, great. Let me teach you how to program then. And he'd already built out a little server and stuff. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And so he's teaching me how to program. Uh, and he sits me down at my computer and he says, okay, let me show you. This is a string. Uh, or no, he started with a Boolean. He's like, this is a Boolean. It's true or false. It's like, okay, that's kind of weird, um, but I'll take your word for it. Here's a number. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I got numbers. And then he showed me a string and I was like, I this does not make any sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I was like, okay, you do the programming stuff and I'll just play your game that you make. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that didn't, that didn't really work out for me. That was when I decided, okay, I can play on uh, computers and I ended up getting into video editing and stuff. But, uh, as far as like actually programming computers, I, I can't do that. Um, I do remember, getting really into making my own um, scenarios on uh, StarCraft and Warcraft and stuff. I'd love building those things out. It was awesome. But yeah, like getting into any real programming was just not happening for me. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I was going to college to decide what I uh, should do for my major, uh, I decided, you know, I, I really do like computers. And my brother majored in electrical engineering and he pretty much gets to do whatever he wants, um, with computers. So I was like, I'll, I'll do that, I guess. Um, and so I, I started in, in electrical engineering. I wound up getting two programming classes my first semester. Uh, the first was CS124, where we started at like all the way down at zeros and ones and transistors mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. And I, I literally wrote an, um, let's see, it was a calculator, I think, um, in machine code. And, um, and then we got into C and, and that was like, what a trip. Um, but then my other class 142 was, uh, Java Mm -hmm. and that one I struggled with a little bit, but I'm pretty sure I mostly struggled because our TAs, uh, told us to use Vim and, uh, it was like the, the biggest nightmare of all. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I struggled with that a little bit, but I, um, early on I, I decided that if I really wanted to get good at, at this stuff, I, I should tutor. And the teacher like had this official, like, you know, if you want to sign up to be a tutor, go to the website, sign up, and then people can ask you for help. And so I was like, yeah, sure. If I do that, then I'll make sure that I get all my homework done early so that I can help people. And it worked. It worked really well. And I scored really well in the class. Um, but by the end of the semester, I I just sat there and thought, there's no way, like I was, I was doing eight hours, um, a week of, um, programming for each class. So 16 hours a week, 
uh, of programming. And I was like, there's no way you're going to get me to sit in front of a computer programming for 40 hours a week. I just mm-hmm. can't do this. So anyway, after that first semester, I went on my mission. Two years later, I got back and I wasn't really feeling like seriously in any direction. And so I, I decided I'll just stick with with this and then we'll see what happens, if anything. Um, I, and so I took a math refresher course and it totally just I, I bombed it. I was so bad at math. Um, yeah. And so I was like, OK, engineering may not be the right thing for me. So I ended up bouncing around a little bit um, until I landed in accounting. My dad was a C- uh, CPA. And so I thought, OK, I can do that, I guess. And the first class was OK. But the second class, I was like, yeah, this sounds awful. But in taking in, in getting into the accounting program, I had to take an information systems class. And with information systems, like it's business and computers. And so like part of what um, was hard for me in computers and programming was like having a hard time seeing the practicality of things like, oh, we're building a linked list. That's cool, I guess. Like it's it's computer programming for computer programming's sake. And that just didn't didn't work for me. But when I realized that or like when when I could see the potential and the practicality of computer programming, it kind of made me a lot more interested. So I decided to go into information systems. Lots of people who come out of information systems end up being project managers and mm-hmm. um, and network administrators and, and database admins and stuff like that. But through the like while I was in school, um, I ended up and, and and that was my plan. I wasn't really planning on being a programmer. I still decide, had decided that I didn't want to program. But uh, right when I started into um, the information systems um, program, I uh, uh, got this job and like a side internship thing at a company where I needed to do a whole bunch of monkey work. I basically needed to download uh, or like rip CD or sorry, rip DVDs uh, and upload those to our website or to YouTube. We had permission from the original content creators to do this. And so there was like a ton of monkey work I had to do. And so I asked my manager, I said, hey, would it be okay if I figure out a way to automate this so I can get a lot more done a lot faster? Uh, It would obviously take me a little bit of time to get to the point where I can do that. But like, is that cool? And they said, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to do that. So I I was taking a Java programming class at school and I thought, oh, I I could write a Java program to do this. And so I was like shelling out to the Handbrake, uh, the Handbrake CLI which was very cool. Um, and just doing a whole bunch of, of uh, stuff with this Java thing. And it ended up working out really well for me. I, um, they, they were so happy that like this was a nonprofit. And so mm-hmm. they had meetings with the, their financers, or whatever, the board. And um, they had me present to the board um, about this program that I wrote <laughs> to automate my job. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. Like actual practical use cases for programming. And, uh, and I'm getting recognized for it. That's pretty awesome. And so that's, that's kind of when I decided, okay, yeah, maybe programming like that, that is kind of fun. And I, I got an internship. Uh, after that, I got an internship at my church. And I was going to be a, a business intelligence engineer, yeah. uh, where we're doing star schema, and we're doing um, um, DTLs and a bunch of, of these other things that uh, like with database queries and stuff. And I just never really got into that. But there was one thing that um, my mentor had done. 
that really interested me. And, and that was, um, he built this little Java program to automate sending crystal reports to um, different uh, church leaders throughout the, the world. And uh, it needed some maintenance. And so I jumped in and I, I did a little bit there. And, and then I was like, oh, you know, we could improve this or we can um, make this generic so other um, business intelligence engineers can use this. And, and so I spent most of my internship as a business intelligence engineer actually programming in Java uh, to automate some of our, our workflows. And, uh, and so that, that was really when it solidified in my mind, okay, like I can't deny it anymore. Programming is my thing. I, and I really, really enjoy it. Um, so a- after that, I got hired on at um, part-time. I was still in school, um, hired out at a company called Domo here in Utah. And um, there I was hired to uh, do automated testing of our um, REST endpoints. Um, and that never really went anywhere. But the UI team needed a little bit of help. And so I said, well, I, I can learn this JavaScript thing, I guess. And so I, uh, I jumped into that. I read the JavaScript, the good parts, you know, that was the back in, you know, a couple of years ago, that was everybody had to read that as their first thing. Now I'd yeah. say you don't know JavaScript is probably where I would send most people now. But um, but yeah, that and I, I jumped in and, and I had some really good people helping uh, me at work, learning this thing and reviewing my code and stuff. And and that was when I, I really decided, hey, this programming thing is a lot of fun. And, and I really like this JavaScript and this web thing. Um, and doing UIs is a lot more interesting because I can actually see the thing that I'm building and interact with it in a, an interesting way more than just, you know, a terminal output. So yeah. anyway, that's that's the long story. You asked for it. <laughs> no, that's great. I actually, uh, to speak to that, I actually, when, when I have friends who ask me about learning to program, I always encourage them to look at JavaScript first mm-hmm. because seeing the, like, kind of the fruits of your labor as you go is really encouraging for people who are trying to motivate themselves to learn something that's already super hard to do. I totally agree. JavaScript as a first language is a great idea. And lots of the universities are finally catching up to that. Uh, some, some have been doing it for a couple of years, but I, I just found out that my school, my alma mater BYU is going to start teaching JavaScript first, um, which makes me really happy because I, I think, it's a really awesome first language and like an, a gentle introduction into programming. And it's also extremely marketable. It's not going anywhere. Um, so yeah, JavaScript is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it, it is definitely marketable. It's, it's literally everywhere right now. So uh, you're, you're not going to struggle to find someone who's writing JavaScript code. Yeah. So at some point during that, uh, that journey where you kind of went from a series of internships or you went from working on databases to, you know, some QA stuff and then into this UI thing. Did you struggle at all with imposter syndrome? Um, yeah, like, uh, I, I think I have a, a little bit of a, um, I don't know, like, uh, I, I'm a little bit of an arrogant person. Um, <laughs> and so like, I, I have this high opinion of myself that I have to, you know, keep track of. Um, and so I don't think that I struggle with imposter syndrome as much as, as, um, other people might, but I definitely, there, there were definitely times when, especially early on when I can remember at Domo, when I felt like they're going to find me out and they're going to fire me, um, because I'm not doing anything useful for this company. Uh, I, I spend all of my time asking people questions and I'm wasting other people's time too. And then as you, 
get into the industry and you're in in for a while, you you find out that oh well, like this is literally what everybody does when they're first starting. Like yeah, uh, and it's it's just like that's how how things start. Like and not just when they're first starting, but when that, when they're learning something new. Um, yeah. we're we're constantly um learning new things and trying new things and and we're that's that's one of the exciting things about the industry honestly it's like the ability for us to uh, constantly learn is just a really cool thing so yeah uh, i i i still feel a bit of imposter syndrome uh sometimes i i feel like especially on twitter i i now have a pretty good I, i'm almost at fifty thousand followers so i've got a lot of people okay. who um like I, I feel like anytime I tweet something, somebody's going to find something wrong with it. And uh, and when I tweet out like, hey, what are you all doing for servers these days? And and I get a million people responding like, what are you using servers for? Serverless, servers, you know, serverless functions. And, you know, like who uses Express anymore? And so there's, there's all like the, the more um, broad my reach is, the more I feel that acute, like, you know, people are going to find out that I don't know anything. Um, yeah. Kind of feeling, and uh, I, I think it's something that I've learned to kind of get over and um, not worry as much about, and and kind of embrace the things that I don't know, and not be ashamed of those things that I don't know, um, and you know, be realistic about the fact that you know we we have this idea that there are only two people on the planet, and it's us and ev- versus everybody else. Yeah, and the you know the things that everybody knows collectively versus the things that we know by ourselves is like the proper comparison there. And if we do that, then we're always going to be, um, like insufficient. Um, we're, we're never going, going to know everything that everybody on the planet knows. Um, but even more important than that is to recognize that it doesn't matter. Um, like you shouldn't be comparing yourself to other people anyway. And so yeah, like th- this kind of comes into being mindful and being compassionate towards yourself. But for me, it's just been really helpful for, uh, to be kind of realistic and say, um, yeah, I don't know like uh, very much about design or I don't know very much about animation. I'm not very good at that right now. Um, I haven't dedicated years of my life to that. Um, and the fact that other people are really good at that is something to be celebrated uh, for them and not something to um, make me feel inferior in any way. Yeah. And I don't know, you kind of get over it, I think. Um, but it, it is hard and it's uh, something to be worked toward. So early on in your career, were you ever formally a junior engineer? Yeah, absolutely. I was. Um, so like, I, I'm not a huge fan of the term junior and senior and whatever. I, I don't, sure. honestly, I don't even know what my title is at my company. I just say <laughs> I'm a JavaScript engineer. But uh, uh, by the way, if um, on LinkedIn, your title should include engineer. And if it includes developer, there, there, there was a study I saw once that people whose title included developer made less than people whose title included engineer. So just think about that. Um, but uh, so anyway, um, yeah, when I when I got started, I absolutely was like brand new, fresh, and and my title title was junior, um, and uh, yeah, then kind of transitioned to senior actually pretty quickly. I, I think it was I, I went full time at Domo, and then four months later, I was a senior engineer at At Task, which is now Workfront. But yeah, mm-hmm. how how did you make that transition? And do you think 
any any specific characteristic help you to make that transition smoothly? Yeah, well, so part of it is faking it. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> like, um, that's that's why I, I don't give a whole lot of credence to this senior junior thing because like my title was senior engineer at AtTask. Um, I was one step below an architect after four, four months of full-time software development, which I think is just silly. It just speaks oh, wow. to yeah. Speaks to the fact that those roles or those titles mean pretty much nothing. Um, but uh, so, yeah, like the the things that I did to, to get there uh, was mostly um, kind of giving people this perception that I was really good um, at what I did. And and like th- this kind of plays into the imposter syndrome, too, because I've, I've done a pretty good job of making people believe that I'm really good at what I do. And oh no, what if they find out that I'm actually not good at what I do? Um, but uh, yeah, so like I I feel like I I was good. Like I did a lot of really good things. I um I was only at that company for two months. Uh, moved on to another another thing really quickly thereafter. But in that two months, I architected a, a solution for uh, moving them from old uh, their old tech to uh, Webpack and and things. And then they implemented my my plan, and it all went really well and everything. So I, I did good things. Um, but lots of it, like, I, I feel like people are a lot more capable than they think they are. Um, sure. they're able to do a lot more things. And so lots of the stuff that I did, um, was even before I graduated from college, I was speaking at meetups and soon after I graduated, I was speaking at conferences and, uh, that wasn't like the, these conferences, these meetups didn't find me. Um, I went like went out. I wasn't knocking on doors or anything, but like I, I shot emails out. And you'd be surprised how easy it is to get um, conference or, or a uh, meetup spot. Like pretty much the week of the meetup, lots of times the meetup is looking for people to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they're not, especially if you're in like um, San Francisco or something. They're like, <laughs> out, but um, but there are a lot of meetups in that area anyway. So. Uh, it's really easy to to get in to speak at a meetup, and and I strongly recommend that people do that. Um, in fact, the first meetup I ever went to, uh, I was speaking, um, and um, wow, yeah, like I I'd heard of them, <laughs> and, <laughs> but yeah, I'd never never been to one. So yeah, like just looking for opportunities to speak, uh, because when you go out and speak, people automatically assume that you know what you're talking about, sure. and and they want you to be successful. Like nobody's rooting for you to fail in that environment, because uh, if if you fail, to, like whatever that means, then you wasted their time, and nobody wants their time wasted, so they're rooting for you. And so yeah, looking for those opportunities to to share your knowledge. And uh, like blogging, c- contributing to open source, these things kind of give yourself this perception or give people a perception of you that you know what you're talking about um and really you do like that's part of the the process of of that teaching is that it actually solidifies in your mind what it is that you're teaching so you get much better at it um and so i i actually i'm gonna go off on a little bit of a tangent but this is something that i talk about a lot so um my my learning strategy I have a very deliberate um, learning strategy and it is to consume um, as much stuff as I possibly can. And so I I have a really deliberate learning mechanism and and it's um, learn, build and teach. So maybe I guess it's uh, consume, build and teach. So the first step is to consume as much as you possibly can. So I subscribe to podcasts um, and newsletters 
and and I'm on Twitter, uh, following people who share a lot of interesting things and build things. I'm on GitHub and looking at projects that are interesting. So just consuming as much information as I can so that I'm at least made aware of what certain technologies are like. I don't really know much about Kubernetes, but I can like have a sort of intelligent conversation with people. I, I at least kind of have an idea of what it is. Um, I don't know a whole lot about like animation or whatever, but I, I know that you can do some pretty sweet things with SVG and um, stuff like that. So just really high level, like what is possible and, and what are people doing in the industry with certain technologies? Um, and then I look for opportunities to build stuff. Uh, and that's that's pretty easy if you have a job where you have tasks that you're supposed to do. But in addition to that, I, I did a lot of side projects. Like I would spend um, pretty much like after the kids go to bed, I would go back and start programming, except on Fridays. My wife and I always had uh, date night on Friday nights. But like the exception with, with a couple exceptions, I, I just spent a lot of time building stuff. And that that was really helpful. Um, and then once once you've. Uh, like when you get into the building phase, because you've consumed so much stuff, you have an, a good idea of how to solve or what technologies you can use to solve certain problems. Mm-hmm. And in the process of doing that, you're going to learn a ton. Um, and and not just about those technologies, but hopefully about good APIs and bad APIs and, and what makes makes things kind of clunky to use. And, and like, what is it about this project's documentation that's really hard or whatever? Mm-hmm. And hopefully in the process, you're contributing... Uh, contributing back. And in that process, you figure out, oh, this is why the API is this way. We have some constraints that I I wasn't aware of. And so you're learning about um, these technologies that you're using even better because you're actually building stuff with it. And so then like that process of learning, making mistakes, all of that is going to set you up really nicely for teaching what you've learned to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that teaching process is really what um, solidifies the things that you've learned because you have to really dive in um, to be able to teach the things that you've learned. Um, so that that's my really deliberate uh, process. And like one other thing that um, I think kind of is an important takeaway here is that I produce a lot. I spend a lot more time producing than I do consuming. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of people are just constantly looking for the next course that they can go watch and binge and the next um, uh, I don't know, like book that they can go read. Um, but I spend a lot more of my time just, con- um, just building stuff like, uh, like crazy. Um, uh, and lots of that building process is actually preparing to teach it. Um, because like when I want to teach about the react context API, then I'm going to make an example. And so I'm like that process of getting ready to teach about it. I- I'm actually building stuff there too. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that that teaching step there at the end, I think, is what um, kind of roping us back to your original question about transitioning to a senior role. Um, I think that's where uh, how I accelerated my um, career path to get into a senior role so quickly was uh, because I right from the get go started teaching. Um, and so that gave people a perception that I knew what I was talking about. And then I actually did because I spent so much time um like preparing this content to teach people about it, uh, that I actually had a pretty good grasp of how it all works. Hmm. So, so looking back, can you think of what maybe the first thing you you publicly taught to other developers? Hmm. Yeah. So my first meetup talk was um, about, and and that was probably the first time I I taught publicly. Um, 
my it was about a library that I'd written and open sourced that nobody was using, but I thought it was interesting uh, called Genie.js. And it's still open source. And I, I think it's still getting downloads on NPM and stuff, um, which is kind of neat. But uh, it hasn't had any like uh, recent publishes or anything. But um, it's uh, basically it's Alfred for the web or Spotlight or whatever Windows version of that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just a, a way for you to control your web app without um, using keyboard shortcuts or the mouse or the keyboard. Uh, well, I guess you use the keyboard, but yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I built that um, and open sourced it and thought it was kind of neat. And so I just said, hey, let me uh, um, speak about this at, at this meetup. And actually the, the day of the meetup, I was like, you know, I don't want to just like talk about it. I want to show people using it. So I actually built a workshop like website um, where I you could go through and, and go through step one, step two, step three. It was like a, a tutorial. Mm-hmm. And that's what I went through for my talk. And so at, at the end of it all, I had this really awesome, like learning how to use Genie um, little um, guide um, that, uh, that people could go through and stuff. It was pretty cool. And, and then I ended up using that same talk um, at uh, Midwest JS their first year. Uh, that was several years ago. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it worked out really well. So that was the first thing I, I taught, um, publicly. So did it help being something that you created? So you had, you know, that, that level of authority on it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember before I gave the, the conference talk, I think it was my first conference and I was super nervous and somebody was like, um, you know what, Kent, you're literally the subject matter expert on this <laughs> because <laughs> you wrote the library. So like, you're going to do fine. Um, so yeah, it definitely helped being something that I had created myself and I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it or not recommend it, uh, to anybody to, to speak on something that you created yourself. Um, it, it just happened that I created something, uh, that I thought was useful for people. And so that's what I shared. Um, but it doesn't have to be something that you created. It can be anything. Um, the, the thing is like, and I get this a lot. People are saying like, oh, I'm not ready to speak at a meetup. I, I don't know enough yet. Um, and like, that's total, like bogus. Um, you, like you literally learned something today. And that thing that you learned today is something that is totally unknown by at least 7 billion people. Um, (laughs) and so I, I'm sure that you can teach, um, somebody the thing that you learned today. So like whatever level you're at, you can always teach people. Uh, and especially for people who are new into things, like that perspective that you have is like really valuable and we want to to learn the things that you're learning i guess um from that early perspective Mm. so yeah um it can be something that you've created or something you haven't but um you are literally right now ready to teach somebody something and i i strongly recommend that you do yeah it seems like you have a lot of knowledge and experience surrounding teaching and uh, sharing your knowledge publicly. But something that I like to ask people that I, I interview is to share something they're bad at. And that's mostly to humanize. We have a, a lot of people that I've talked to on this podcast that are really good at what they do, or they've been recognized as being really successful in the industry. Uh, and so as a junior, looking at people like that, sometimes you're like, oh, well, that, uh, you know, in this case, someone might say, well, of course, Kent did that because look at Kent now, right? Uh, he was destined to be good at this. So obviously that worked out for him. So Kind of to, to refute that, do you want to share something that you could stand to improve on? Absolutely. Um, so 
I I would say like probably the thing I'm worst at is anything related to servers and um and like DevOpsy things mm-hmm. like setting up a you know I I just dis- totally despise DNS I don't understand it at all um and I I don't get um like any of these Opsy things where you set it up one time and and hope it never like you never have to change it like at least yeah. that, that's my my feeling toward it um. And, and like backend stuff and, and worrying about uh, the backend performance and all, all of that. I'm just really abysmal at it and I don't enjoy it. I don't want to, I, I don't <laughs> like, I, and I don't like uh, dealing with CI, continuous integration okay. uh, services and stuff. I, I set it up once and I forget how to do it and I hope I never have to touch it again. Um, I, another thing that I'm pretty bad at is um, keeping focused on things that I don't like to do. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just, like uh really really easily distracted when i'm giving given a task at work that i'm um, not particularly excited about um and it, it will take me you know weeks to do some simple task just because i'll find anything else that i could possibly do that is not that um that simple task that i don't like doing so that's definitely um one area where i could improve on um there are lots of things i'm not good at um uh yeah like Typed JavaScript, I, I'm really bad at. Um, I, I teach people to use a typed um, programming or like to either use flow type or TypeScript. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm really, really bad at that. All of my open source stuff is is regular JavaScript. Um, mostly, I, I tell myself it's because I don't want to increase the barrier to entry for people who want to contribute. But it's mostly because I don't know how to use these tools very well. Yeah. Um, and to be perfectly honest, flow is like, it drives me crazy. I don't really like that tool very much. Um, but in an application setting, I, I think it's important. And so I tell people that, that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like there are plenty of things I'm really bad at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting um, for a, a career path that requires a lot of focused work. Uh, quite a few engineers that I talk to are actually really easily distracted. Like that's a that's a common thing, which is kind of ironic for for what it is that we do. Yeah, I I can definitely like I I think most engineers um, <clears throat> with any degree of experience have this um, have experienced that state of flow where you're like, oh, I am in this, and I forgot to eat lunch, and yeah. you know, like you're just like so into whatever it is that you're building, and I definitely get into that if I if I have something that is a really interesting problem. Um, and, and I have barriers that come up, but I'm able to like swipe them down pretty quick and whatever. And I'm really into this, then, then I can really stay focused for hours at a time and forget about everything else. Um, but yeah, you give me something that I'm not particularly excited to do and I'm just really, really bad at staying focused. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, uh, have the same problem pretty frequently. Um, what is, what is a piece of advice that you find yourself repeating, especially to new developers, but also just developers who are struggling with something? Hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, I repeat a lot of advice. Um, I, I, in fact, I repeat so much advice that I have a weekly newsletter where I will kind of, um, like type out my advice and then that newsletter goes to my blog. And then I also have an ask me anything on GitHub that has over 400 answered questions. Hmm. I think something like that, maybe five, I don't know. Um, and, and then I have a URL shortener 
for the things that I uh, like that links to these articles and things um, and talks and whatever um, for the things that I repeat really frequently. Um, and so, um, yeah, some really to, to get s- to some specifics. Um, one thing that I, I notice a lot, especially in my open source projects, is that people will file issues about um, uh, like problems that they're having. And the the resolution to their problem is right in the error message that they pasted to me. Mm. Um, it like literally says what they should do. Um, and so one piece <laughs> of advice that's really important is to read error messages and Google them um, to to get an idea of what like what you should be um, you're supposed to do there. Yeah, it's fine. Like if if you read it and you googling it, googled it and you still don't get it, like that's fine. Still file the issue, whatever. But um, but yeah, a lot of issues would not be filed if, if they did that. Um, another related thing to that is um, make a minimal um, reproducible isolated example. Mm. Um, there's actually, let me see if I can find it on Stack Overflow. Um, it's like minimal reproducible um, re- reproducible example. Let me see. Yeah, it's M- MCVE, minimal complete and verifiable example. Okay. Um, so yeah, this is something I learned pretty early on from Stack Overflow, actually, because I would post something and people would say, "Hey, make a minimal, complete, verifiable example." Mm-hmm. You dork. But um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're not always the nicest people on Stack Overflow. But um, yeah, so like the process of creating a like a isolated example of of the problem that you're having is ninety percent of the time going to help you find what the actual problem is. Um, so that's a piece of advice that I strongly recommend that you get used to doing. Um, it feels like it's going to take a long time and it's going to be hard, but it's going to save you a lot of time and you're going to probably learn something. Um, another thing that I recommend people do is, um, to not be afraid of digging into the source code of their dependencies. Hmm. Um, and so I've got a blog post about this called spelunking in your node modules or something like that. It's KCD. Uh, dot im slash dig because you're spelunking, you're digging, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, spelunking and known modules is what it's called. Um, where I, I kind of, I, I had a bug in JS DOM or or something, and I wasn't sure what it was, so I made a small example, and then I, I went through and debugged it, um, and I explained how I go through that mm. that process. Um, so that's another thing that I think is a really good piece of advice is to, um, not be afraid to jump into things, um. Uh, into the source code of your dependencies. Sure. You, you, you earn a lot or you learn a lot in that process. And then also you can like um, contribute back to the project. Oh, yeah. uh, you can make a blog post to explain the bug that you found or the problem that you found and, and how you solved it. And then you can help a bunch of other people who have that same problem. Yeah. Um, so lots of opportunity there. Um, another thing, um, don't be afraid to uh, to create content, um, whether it be videos or blog posts or uh, giving talks at meetups and conferences. Um, those seriously have helped me um, advance my career really quickly and really effectively. Um, and lots of the the best friendships that I have are from those activities. Uh, the same thing with open source. Um, I I've developed a lot of really good friendships through open source mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of um, I don't know, like uh, recognition in the community through my open source efforts, uh, which is really great uh, because then it's easier to find a job. Um, 
So like, I guess one last piece of advice that I'll give is, um, it like take care of yourself physically, um, Mm -hmm. because, and, and not just yourself physically, but also your relationships, um, keep things in perspective. There was a, a while when I got started that I was so into this programming thing. Um, and I wanted to be the best, like I really wanted to be the best programmer. Um, and so I was just spending a silly amount of time um, on open source and whatever else I could to, to just be programming all the time. And it put an um, undue, undue strain on my family um, and between me and my wife. Mm-hmm. Nothing like really like, oh, we're getting divorced. N- nothing like that. But it was it was just like I wasn't getting happiness out of uh, like I, I get a happiness out of open source for sure. But I wasn't getting like lasting, fulfilling happiness out of that. Mm-hmm. Like I could, if I'd invested that time and energy into my relationships. And so in the last uh, few years, I've, I've been able to find a much better balance um, where like the balance um, airs on the side of my relationships. And I found myself a lot happier that way. Mm. Um, and then also getting enough sleep and eating well and um, all and exercise, all of that really important. Um, our brain is literally a muscle and it's literally better if you exercise that muscle and give it the ener- like the things that it needs to work well. Sure. Um, so you will be a better engineer if you uh, take care of your brain. Um, so yeah, hopefully that was helpful. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of really good and action- actionable advice. Um, before we wrap up, I, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of share with anyone who's listening where they can go to you know find some of the content you've created or learn more about you. Yeah, sure. So I am um, Kent C. Dodds all over the internet. internet. Um, so yeah, you can find me anywhere. Um, <laughs> I'm highly Googleable. Um, part of the reason that I have the, like, I'm so particular about my middle initial is so that it's so it's easy to find me. Turns out there aren't any other Kent Dodds in the world that I know of. And so it would be easy anyway. But um yeah, so kcd.im will take you to my homepage or to my website, which is really not interesting. Um, that's kentcdods.com. Kent uh, and then I've got Twitter and I'm uh, really active on YouTube. I live stream every weekday, um, something short and, and useful generally. Um, and I've got a newsletter, kcd.im slash news um, that I send out every week. And then two weeks later, that'll go to my blog, which is blog.kentcdods.com. And, uh, yeah. And then I'm on GitHub at Kenzie Dodds and that's, that's mostly where I hang out. Cool. Well, Kent, I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom, um, and your experience. Well, thank you very much, Jacob. I appreciate what you're doing with this podcast. Cool. All right. Well, I will talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to devpath.fm. Want to ask a question? Send an email to Jacob at devpath.fm.